for the first time as long as I can remember, I am not having cravings. I've been sober for 22 years and I have had to white knuckle on a daily basis the, uh, an attraction to drugs, an attraction to alcohol. Now, because it's the habit to not do it, right? I get stressed out and my brain automatically goes to this strategy that I used to use, this maladaptive coping mechanism that I used to use. My brain would automatically go there. And because of 22 years of habituated not doing it, right? It's just became a conditioned behavior to not do it. But food has always been a struggle with me. The only way to counter the amount of calories that I was putting in my body on a daily basis was to power lift, was to, uh, you know, swimming and going to the gym five, six days a week, which is great because I am strong but I still had the gut. Now, the reason why I'm telling you this out of the gate is because for the first time in as long as I can remember, because I have changed what I put in my body on a daily basis, I don't have cravings. I have dropped a ton of weight in a very short amount of time. And I know part of my intake strategy um, really brought in the water weight. And I'm gonna ask my, my guest about this. Uh, but I have lost my gut. And my brain is working at such a level that at 50 years old, I am thinking more strategically and I'm able to handle more than I could at 30 when I started this business. I'm not going to mention in this episode what I'm doing because I believe that's unfair. I'm not interested in marketing and you have to find what works for you. But most importantly, you have to find what works for your kid. And the reason why I brought David back on the show, he did the episode crap in crap out with me. It was a Cape Cod episode and you need to listen to that episode as a wind up to this one. If you listen to it after, it'll also work. But the reason why I called him is because I need to understand why I stopped having cravings. Why suddenly this struggle has ended. And the reason why I called him to get that question answered is because parents, I have always believed in the power of nutrition and recovery, but I am currently experiencing the ease to which my life has been given this gift of, of ease and, and, and surrender and simplicity because I don't have a craving. And for a teenager who's in recovery to take away the craving, to take away the physiological experience of feeling like you need to fill something could only make their lives better. We have to pay attention on what we're putting in our children's bodies. So I brought David Wisback. back. He's a freaking genius. The last episode was amazing. I get a ton of feedback on it and there is nothing this guy I have found isn't being able to answer. So parents, welcome to another week's episode of Beyond Risk and Back. My guest today is David Wiss. Uh, David, Thank you so much for answering the call of what the hell is going on with my body. But brother, I really, really appreciate you, your knowledge, and thank you for saying yes to doing another episode with me. 
Yes, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you, Aaron, for the invite and the opportunity to share. I'm floored by your passion right now. I'm just listening to you and I'm thinking, wow, I've known so many people over the years that have made changes in the way they approach eating and have had profound effects. And what ends up happening is you want to share it with the world, right? It's really exciting because you're wondering why aren't other people taking nutrition seriously? Right. I personally had a similar revolution uh, back in 2006 when I made a major pivot in my life and I started eating way differently. And, you know, I had some bodily changes, but most importantly, I had some mental health changes. And that's when I became truly convinced of the power of nutrition. So when I was listening to you talk, what I really heard wasn't just that there was changes in your body weight, but you had some changes in the way that you were thinking and in your cognitive function. And I think that's such an important message and it makes nutrition so much more convincing. I think we've always looked at nutrition as fitness oriented and weight oriented, but now we're moving into the chapter of nutrition for mental health. You can hear the, hear the term nutritional psychiatry. There's a lot of new language coming out to describe what you're talking about. How can diet affect cognition, neuroscience, and even things like you're saying, cravings, right? Who knew that nutrition was linked to the brain so much? And so we have all this new data linking the gut to the brain, and hopefully we'll talk about some of that. But I just want to commend you, Aaron, for making some changes in your life and being willing to uh, scream it from the rooftop. Well, I appreciate that. And you're right. That is a big part. And and I don't want this show to become a, a marketing advert, which is why you and I talked off the air with every food intake strategy, there's going to be complications, there's going to be risks, there's going to be struggles, there's going to be rebounds and relapses and things that happen to the body when we go off topic with the fuel we're putting in our body. So I want to make sure that you are the expert speaking to all the different strategies that could be available, especially for children, because that's a very, very important aspect of life. But I'm going to resist uh, um, the, the screaming from the rooftops, what I'm actually doing, because I don't want to promote any certain thing. I've tried every single thing. This one's working for me now. now number two, our facility has always been a nutritionally focused facility. The nutrition and recovery, uh, it's a no brainer to only feed organic foods and stuff like that to the kids who are coming into our program. It helps. But I have to be transparent here and say, I didn't understand it at the visceral level. I am experiencing it right now of, of, oh my God, if, if this is how the kids are feeling because of what we're feeding them, no wonder our success rate is so high. Because I've taken away the constant stressor in my life that I'm hungry. And, and I, I want to understand that. I want to understand what's changing with my body. I eat way more fat than I used to. Way more fat. And of course it's healthy fat. Of course it's olive oil and avocado and coconut but I wake up and instead of two cups of coffee, I'm down to one and I can just think first thing in the morning. I don't feel like I have to lift weights to wake up and I don't know when I'm going to start going back to the gym, but 
God, I don't even know where to start, David. So tell me, where did all, what, what changed for me? What, if, if a parent makes a fuel change, what's the first one you suggest that they should make so that they, as a parent and their child who's struggling, could suddenly go, okay, I can get a grip now because I'm not constantly plagued with craving. Great question. Yeah, I think the first thing I want to emphasize is just this concept of change, right? And it's really important to acknowledge that a lot of people start developing dietary patterns that are uh, high in certain things and low in others. So for example, the Western diet, the common standard American diet, we call it the SAD diet, might be very high in refined carbohydrates, right? So you'll see a lot of wheat products, a lot of refined grains, like in cereals, you have juices and other refined sugars that have been concentrated with the fiber removed. If someone's eating a lot of refined carbohydrates, they're probably not getting enough, like you said, healthy fats and good quality proteins. So if someone's been on that approach for several years, as soon as you make this big change to something that's very, very different, the impact on someone's physiology is likely to be profound. So I think what's probably true is that when people change to eating more of the stuff that they weren't getting before and less of the stuff that they're getting too much of, it's going to feel profound. Another example is if someone eats all animal products. If someone's eating a ton of meat all day long and dairy and they don't get a lot of vegetables and someone switches to a plant-based diet, their diet has changed in a way that's going to support uh, uh, the growth of you know certain bacteria, new enzymes, the synthesis of vitamins, a lot of different things that weren't happening before. So we live in an era of nutritional confusion because there's so many different things that are working for people. And the reason why there's such a wide variation is because one, we're biologically individual, you know, no two people are identical, even including twins. But two, people eat differently baseline. People eat differently coming in. So when people make big changes, the big change is often the movement toward whatever they were missing before. Now, here's where it gets confusing. One person can go from eating a lot of refined carbohydrates to a very low-carb diet or even a ketogenic diet and feel amazing. The next person could have been on a high-meat, high-animal product diet and switch to a plant-based or plant-forward diet and feel amazing. Now, if you were to objectively look at these two different dietary approaches, they would seem very divergent, but both people feel good having made the changes. So it's really important to remember that some of the biggest uh, effects are produced by adding in what people have been missing. So I think, you know, you referred to healthy fats. If someone's not getting a lot of nuts, seeds, avocados, coconut, olives, anti-inflammatory oils, and then the diet starts uh, uh, focusing on these foods, there's going to be an effect. If someone's not eating vegetables and now all of a sudden we're eating a lot more fruits and vegetables, there's going to be an effect. So as a dietitian in private practice, one of my roles is always to assess what is it that the person is not getting and how do we focus on eating more of that? And then obviously to your question, what is this person eating too much of? How can we bring in the things that they're not getting and use that as a way of crowding some of the other stuff out? Because we do know that diets, quote unquote diets, do fail because they are often too rigid, 
too restrictive and not sustainable. And the last thing we want to do is try to do something that's going to end in a week, feel a sense of failure and have people, uh, quote unquote, binging or doing other behaviors that you said, you know, kind of losing track or getting off focus or off topic was the phrase you use. I like that a lot off topic. Thank you for that. So yeah, <laughs> the, the idea of change is really important because change can happen in a lot of different directions and people do respond well to change almost regardless of what the specific change is, as long as the change is focused on what that person has been lacking. Well, let's talk about lacking for a second, because that seems to be one of the reasons why everything I've ever tried failed is because for some, you know, and again, I'm, I'll call this the addict search, right? Is that every intake strategy, every fuel strategy I decided to follow this book, this YouTube channel, whatever ended up with me feeling like something was lacking. And as an addict in recovery, lacking is a dangerous realm to be in. That's where I start to feel like I need more. More is the first word I ever said as an infant, and it has been the curse of my life. It's also been the greatest success of my life because I'm never willing to settle mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, financially. I'm always looking for more ways to help, more ways to give, more ways to learn, more ways to earn, and more ways to feel better. And every fuel strategy I had, I found something lacking. And the one I'm currently on, I don't feel that. I, meats, sweets, veggies, fruits, everything that I love. Uh, there's, there's a few things that I miss that I really loved, but I don't need them. And when I say miss, it's like, a, oh, I'll check in with you someday, but not a, oh God, I have to have that, right? Because the moment I feel hunger, suddenly a small handful of anything I just mentioned does the trick and I don't have to overindulge. I don't need more. I don't have to. And it was that the change piece that you said, I heard you say three things, you know, looking that the first steps are looking at the, the changes that we got to make. And I don't, I'm not limited. I don't feel like limitations have been put on me. I'm not on a diet. I'm on a different fuel strategy. Mentally, that feels really good. Diets feel limiting. I don't do well with limits. <laughs> but finding out what's been missing and what's changed once I replace that and then realizing what I've been doing too much of, that, that absolutely makes sense. So now that this has happened, now that I've done your first three steps, dealing with change, finding out what's been missing, finding out what is too much of and making those adjustments. What is going on with my body that suddenly I feel because I, and I just had a doctor's appointment. It was the best. He's like, this is your best one in the last five years. This is the epitome of health. Right now you got the body of a 30 year old. And I'm like, holy mackerel, what is going on inside? What's happening to my body that all of a sudden I'm younger next year instead of older next year? What, what is, is that too broad of a question or do you, do you already got the, got the answer? I can take a stab at it. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think it's important to acknowledge that when we think about body changes, there are certain things that are measurable. So we have a tendency to put a lot of emphasis on variables that are measurable. Right? Weight, so calories, things. those things. 
Exactly. Yeah. So most people think about weight as an outcome. And so when certain, you know, quote unquote, fueling strategies happen, oftentimes, you know, people overemphasize the changes in weight as being the, the, the tell all of the, of the whole story. You went to a doctor and you had some labs done, which is great because you're, you're, you're getting some blood work to show some trends in other kind of metabolic and important biomarkers, but those are also measurable. There's a lot of facets of our brain, however, which are not as measurable, at least not uh, affordably per se. Uh, For example, you use the word craving, right? I also like to think about impulsivity, right? How, how, how likely someone is to uh, use their prefrontal cortex to make a very sound decision, to weigh the pros and cons of something. A lot of times when food is out of control, you have these warring parts of the brain. You might have your rational part of your brain saying, you know what, I've learned through my nutrition class or from my dietitian that this isn't an optimal fuel choice, right? This isn't the best thing that I should eat. However, there's another part of the brain that wants immediate reward, right? We call this delay discounting, the trade-off between the smaller, sooner reward and the larger, later reward. So what happens with people is they might have all the nutrition education in the world. They might be very well aware of what is healthy eating, but there's other parts of the brain that are more immediate focused and more impulsive and will engage in the uh, uh, food that might not be Uh, in line with those long-term goals. So those aren't things that we can easily measure how impulsive and how much craving someone has. So for example, you know, in, in your case, it's possible because you upped your dietary fat, you started eating more avocados and more nuts and seeds. It's possible. And I'm just taking a stab in the dark that you may have addressed a deficiency in certain uh, essential fatty acids, right? If you're not getting enough omega-3, you're not getting enough monounsaturated fats that are uh, anti-inflammatory, it's possible that a part of your brain may have been signaling for something because it was it was low. So, so, so for example, we know that omega-3 can decrease cravings and impulsivity. It's possible that it was a direct result of the, uh, uh, the, the constituents of the food on your brain. But it's also possible that it's a psychological effect. So in other words, huh. once you feel very satisfied with the food that you're eating and you feel very confident in the approach that you're taking, you have less of that deprivation effect. You can also have less cravings because you have an overall sense of agency and ownership over your relationship to food. You know, I, I gotta, I gotta jump in on this part because I was never a one scoop guy. I was always two to three scoops on a cone in a bowl. Don't care. You could just put it right in my mouth. And then I would the next day have to go and and press that much harder in the gym. And currently right now we are making these homemade. We use it. We use the, those Lily's chocolates that sweeten with stevia and we melt those chips and we put it in this silicone ice tray. We throw a mint leaf from the garden on it. And that chocolate is mixed with butter. It is chocolate and butter, and it's the size of a small ice cube. I can barely make my way through one, and I'm a three-scoop kind of guy. Like, like I get through one, and I'm like, that's it. And I was never a that's it guy. And so I love what you're saying that maybe it's mentally, and I would love to be able to tell everybody that I have that kind of discipline, but I don't. The truth is I'm an addict, 
and that more, one is never enough, and I, I, one is too many, and a thousand is never enough for me, but right now, one's enough. And, and it, it, it's a body feeling, and it's so much relief. There are times I just want to sob because I'll eat half of my meal, and my wife will look at me and like, you're not hungry? And I was like, I'm full. And I've never been full in my whole life, not mentally, not emotionally, not physically. And so I have to think, David, that this, that there's something chemical going on in my brain that's saying, hey, there's this new term called moderation. Check it out. Isn't it awesome? (laughs) Because I've never experienced this. It's either a have or a have not. There's not this. It's enough. It's never been enough. And it it's the biggest relief I've ever experienced in my life. Well, it sounds like you might have the meeting criteria for classic carbohydrate addiction and sugar addiction. And then once you remove those offending foods, your body gets a break. Your reward pathways are no longer supercharged by excessive consumption and faced with this idea of how can I moderate, right? For some people that truly meet criteria for, for, for sugar addiction and food addiction, Uh, expecting them to be able to successfully moderate is the same as expecting someone who has alcoholism to be able to drink the right amount of food. So for some people that have alcoholism, the only uh, relief is entire abstinence. Now, there are some people that feel the same way about carbohydrates and about sugar, specifically refined sugars, and they do way better without including any of it and instead get all their carbohydrates from high fiber foods. Now I've seen that be the thing that works for people. It sounds like that might be the thing that's working uh, for you. However, it's always important to remember that just because something works for one person doesn't mean it'll work for the next person. We do see people experiment with going very low carb, even trying full-blown keto and it being very euphoric for small periods of time. However, over the long term. It can be very risky because people end up eventually eating something that's sweet or having uh, a carbohydrate in the form of a starch that they weren't used to having. And because the brain's been uh, you know, abstinent from it, it's very sensitive to it once it finally gets uh, the experience. So I always caution people with anything that's extreme dietarily because sometimes things can feel really, really great in the short term over the course of weeks and months, but over the long term, they can actually increase risk for uh, higher levels of addiction like eating, compulsivity, full-blown binging, and even a a full-blown eating disorder. So it's this incredibly important trade-off when you're thinking about diets. It's like, if you do something extreme, it can lend itself to another extreme later on. Sometimes people only want to do extremes. Sometimes the best solution is somewhere in the middle. And it's really important to emphasize that everyone's different. And this is not something that you could uh, uh, figure out just from reading a blog or listening to a podcast. It's something that you have to do a little bit of experimentation with and really figure out what's going on with your body. It's really cool that you've done your fair share of experimentation. You sounds like you spent your whole life doing experimentation. (laughs) You finally found the thing that works for you. That's really, really awesome. And I will say that for the past five years, all these different strategies I've done with a nutritionist, uh, um, ND, uh, uh, natural, uh, naturopath doctor. Um, and it, it is because my cholesterol, uh, level shot through the roof and every 
fuel strategy we tried before we put me on a statin failed. And regardless of what fuel intake I was doing, my cholesterol was getting worse and becoming dangerous to the point that before I traveled on an airplane anywhere, I had to go drain blood because my red blood cells were getting so thick. Like I was starting to hit a critical point. So I want families to know I have done this under the supervision, um, which we have to do. And, and I think what you're saying is so important because someone who suddenly starts abstaining from heroin and all drugs and everything, one little relapse can easily be an OD because the body is all I, so I get what you're saying. And I think we can translate that because if it's going to do that with drugs and literally our physical body safety, of course, food is going to be the same type of thing. Of course, someone coming off of a, a pornography abstinence and suddenly says, all right, well, one time wouldn't be bad. It can get worse. That's, that's the, 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 um, the dangers of relapse within recovery is that that slip up can go much farther and become much more dangerous than where you were when you got sober. So I think what you just said there is so important. So I have this question, David, is that when you're trying a strategy now as a parent, if the parent is listening and saying, okay, I'm going to take out sugars or we're going to just be vegetarian or whatever they decide with the help of a nutritionist or a doctor, how long do you give it? Before you should go get retested, before you should go talk about the experience, or before you need to sit back and consider, is this working? Like, is it a month, a month and a half, three months? Maybe I'm still in the bliss part because I'm a month and a half into this fuel strategy. It's working great. How much more time do I give it before I should go get my numbers looked at and talk with my doctor before I keep going? stay the course or jump, jump off the choo-choo. When people do things that are, um, you know, potentially extreme like keto or, you know, vegan. And I, I don't mean to call vegan extreme. However, I will say that it is extreme for some people because their bodies don't agree well with it. I recommend getting your labs done every three to six months in the beginning to make sure something doesn't go awry. It's very likely that someone could go on one of these kind of quote unquote diets and do really well. But the next person, one of their lab values will be skyrocketing. Other vitamins might be dropping. So it is really, really important to monitor it if you can. But I think from the psychological standpoint, doing anything extreme should require almost weekly meeting with a dietitian or nutritionist to make sure that it matches someone's lifestyle and that it's accessible in terms of their socio and cultural environment. The last thing you want to do with someone is put them on something that doesn't work for their lifestyle. And they, like I said, feel a sense of failure or uh, right. uh, uh, feel isolated, right? These are a host of other new problems that we can run into related to nutrition that aren't directly related to the biology of nutrition but the uh, uh, socio-cultural components of it. So, you know, it's really important to always think about the big picture, um, you know, and uh, also weigh the pros and cons, right? Is it worth doing something that is extreme? Now, if I was to make my single best recommendation that I think is safe. Okay. So again, of course, uh, uh, right. Like some of those, some of the things we've talked about today 
are highly impactful, profound, but do have some risks. If I was to make my best safe recommendation for a nutrition intervention and a nutrition strategy, and I know people aren't going to want to hear this, but I'm going to say it anyways, <laughs> it's just to learn how to cook your own food. If there was one thing that people could do that would change, that have the biggest impact, has no negative side effects, it would be to learn how to grocery shop, prepare your own food, how to make it uh, uh, delicious and nutritious, and stop being dependent on uh, the food industry to do the work for you. So my wife, my wife's the cook. And I'm going to say something that if she ever hears this episode, God help me. But in the last time you and I talked, David, I talked about my mom and growing up. Always a well-balanced meal, but my mom did not like cooking. Uh, she, she, she's good at it. She's fine at it. It's just not, she didn't like it. But it was always two veggies, a salad, and a meat, right? It, it was the Betty Crocker diet growing up. Mm. Uh, I married a woman who not only didn't like cooking, she wasn't that good at it. Uh, but... Uh, since COVID started, what she did is dove into every masterclass YouTube cooking basic to advanced video. And in the last four months, my wife has become a superior cook. All I do now is dishes. And that is one of the biggest change that she and I have experienced through going through her process to learn how to cook well. And then with both of us being on this fuel strategy together. She is always in the kitchen, and when she's not, I am, and I'm cleaning up after her. That's our agreement, and I'm perfectly fine with that, but I can only imagine a single mom who decides to start cooking at home, and then she's going to spend all her time cooking and all her time cleaning, and single moms also have businesses to run. They also have jobs to go to. They also have other kids, and you're, you're right. The single, the single greatest strategy has to be cooking your own food. So the couple questions that come up for me, can you still create health through convenience and cooking at home? Can you shop at the main grocery store chains, the popular ones, and not go to the organic ones that are so ungodly expensive that you literally, it's your whole paycheck, like, like what I, you, you can't, you can't shop for two people for a week and not spend $300 at some of these places. And really the way to counter that is to go to some of these main chains where you have twice the options and half the quality. So can you still do it? Can you do the perimeter shopping strategy that we've heard in the past? Like, what are your thoughts on this? Does it have yeah. to be organic? Thank you for that. I, I think uh, to your first point about, you know, the single mother and the stressed out hardworking family that doesn't have the bandwidth, I believe, and this is coming as a, as a dietitian and a, a public health doctoral student that we need to teach these teenagers how to cook. Oh God, we need yes. to teach these kids. We need to get them going early on. I think that's going to be a big part of the future. They are growing up completely handicapped in the uh, culinary department. And I think the development of life skills is going to be critical to our, our, our future's health. Uh, um, you know, so the answer is yes. Can you do it on a budget? Absolutely. These are things that I talk about all the time. Uh, most people don't have the luxury of being able to go to those high end, super pricey grocery marks. But if you do go to the kind of more standardized grocery stores, it does mean that if you want to get a lot of value, you're going to have to put some, some work in. 
And I think when you're starting to learn how to, for example, make a big batch of farro or quinoa in a slow cooker, or if you're learning how to marinate, you know, um, you know, meats or fish and, and broil things, I think there's a steep learning curve. But once people get past that and start to get comfortable with it, it gets fun and it gets exciting. I imagine you guys are making all sorts of new foods and it's exciting and you can't wait to do it. And I know that the pandemic with the quarantine has led people to a lot more experimentation in the kitchen. I've had the good fortune of seeing people get their hands dirty and get busy and learn how to do these things and, and, and be willing to make a mistake in the process of learning. And it really is a, uh, a cool turn of events to see people, to see people do this. So yes, you can do it on a budget, but when you spend less, you have to work more. When you pay more, oftentimes you're paying for someone who have already done the work. Right. You go to certain grocery stores, you can buy pre-made food, pre-prepared stuff. And that does make things easier. I try to recommend people to do a combination of the two, buy something that's pre-made, but also buy something that you're going to cook. If you're going to make a meal, maybe you don't need to make all three things. Maybe you can just right. make one of them buy buy the other and use one as something that was raw that you just assembled. So use a, a combination strategy is what I recommend. That's phenomenal. Look, I only got a few more minutes with you and I want to get a, a, a another uh, question or two in before we make sure parents can, can get in touch with you. Um, the question I had just left me. So here, let's, let's maybe I'll grab it on, on the flip side of what you're talking about. David, let's talk about how people can get in touch with you directly. Uh, you recently totally supported me in finding a ton of research around micronutrients uh, and and their evidence uh, um, in recovery. And we are, we are submitting a ton of things that came directly from one of the papers that you had like 300 sources on a paper you wrote. And, and my executive director, director who's been in the business of recovery for years was like, all right, we, this guy's going to work for us now. So just know you should be getting a call from my executive director relatively soon uh, to get you to start signing off on our dietary uh, responsibilities. But as a parent, what do you have for a parent who's looking at the current strategy and saying, okay, I gotta, I gotta get, uh, I gotta get this guy's information into my house. How can people find you? Yeah, my website is nutritioninrecovery.com. So that's nutrition, I-N, recovery. And I'm very active on social media. My Instagram is David A. Wiss, D-A-V-I-D-A-W-I-S-S. That's the same for Twitter. But on Instagram, I go live every Friday at four o'clock Pacific time. And I discuss a new topic. You know, we talk about things like body image. We talk about, you know, different things that are related to nutrition, trauma, public health, mental health. And uh, I have a newsletter on my website. Once you're on my website for around 20 seconds, it pops up. You can opt in and I share all my latest videos and my publication. So I'm a fourth year doctoral student at UCLA in the School of Public Health. And uh, I've been writing manuscripts on these topics and people that sign up for my newsletter always get the alert when, you know, something new that I written comes out. And so I'm putting out a lot of good content for people to um, share and to understand that nutrition for mental health is the future and that in upcoming years, nutrition will be a, uh, a critical part of substance use disorder treatment. And I think what's going to be abundantly clear is that early intervention is the key. Getting people to think about nutrition in their teens 
is the time when it matters because sometimes people, when they start thinking about them when they're 40, 50, they've already run into nutritional deficiencies. Their eating patterns are cemented in place. And what we're seeing is that you're running a higher risk for uh, you know, neurodegenerative disease and that kind of thing later. So the sooner we can get people excited about cooking, eating the, the right food for, for their lifestyle and for their body type, the greater chance we have of uh, uh, achieving long-term sustainable recovery and having an improved mental health for our future. Friday, 4 p.m. Pacific Standard, you're live on Instagram. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. And it's just your name, David Wiss, W-I-S-S? David A. Wiss. There's a middle initial in David there. A. Wiss. As always, David, thank you so much for your expertise. This stuff really helps. And like I said, ex- expect a call from our executive director. Sounds great. Thank you so much, Aaron. We'll talk soon. Yeah. Hang on the line with me just for a second, folks. This is the deal. It's like rites of passage. It's like, these are the the nutrition and recovery, micronutrients. When I say that, I'm talking about vitamins and supplements. These are things we all know help. And for some reason, we find some blockage to integrate into our daily lives. And right now, with everybody's safety around their own physical health, being threatened. What can you do to make the change? I love what David said. Start with a half and half. Buy half pre-prepared and prepare the other half. Brilliant. It doesn't have to be this big cut yourself off and, and do everything different because that rarely works. The extreme rarely works. And when it does work from some people, like someone like me who has to make this huge cutoff and change everything and be sober or or eat differently, there's still and always will be risk involved in these extreme behaviors. So listen to what David is saying and find those little changes to make. And of course, with the with the the find what's missing from yours and your children's diet, what what you're doing too much of, and then a confronting the concept of real change. That's so important. And I want you to hear David saying, start with the mental game of what's about to take place. Be conscious about the changes you're about to make in your family. And take care of yourself first in this process, your adult relationships second and your children third, because that's how we do our best work with our children. And that means with the fuel you're putting in your body, how can you take care of your children when you are not taking care of your own body's nutritional needs? That's what this show was about. And I can tell you I'm experiencing some of the benefits of making a significant change I'm living without craving for the first time that I can remember. That's huge for me. If you're wondering if your child needs residential treatment, please contact Fire Mountain. You can go to firemountainprograms.com or call us at 303-443-3343 and talk to our admissions department. We'll help you make a choice and we'll help you make the right choice. If you're looking for personal parent coaching, you can also go to firemountainprograms.com slash coaching and see if working with me one-on-one is something you'd be interested in. I do happen to have two openings right now. I want to thank Deepin Productions for doing all the sound and the music for Beyond Risk and Back. And I want to say, folks, it would really help me if you went to iTunes and gave me a review. That helps parents who need help help their families. Is that just you helping me with the review helps parents help their families? That's how this SEO game works. 
right? Please go to parentingteensthatstruggle.com where I have all kinds of interviews, support, and videos there every single day. And folks, thanks for joining me on Beyond Risk and Back. Please share this episode with a parent who needs help. My thanks to David A. Wiss, our guest. Check him out on Instagram on Fridays at 4 p.m. Pacific for his live shows. Uh, he's a great, he's an, he's an expert. He's one of the, oh my God, he's so good. All right, folks, thank you so much. We will see you next week on Beyond Risk and Back.